Hi, my name is Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. And welcome to the Creative Writers Toolbelt. In this episode, we are looking at some of the building blocks of narrative, namely the sentence, the paragraph, and the scene. And a lot of this episode is a response to questions and comments I've received through the Creative Writers Toolbelt survey. And I'm going to try and tackle as many of the other suggestions and requests that I get through the survey as I possibly can. If you haven't completed the Creative Writers Toolbelt survey yet, please do. Just go to my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, and you'll get presented with a big invitation screen. And the survey will take you about four or five minutes to complete. Every respondent will get a copy of the Creative Writers Toolbelt Highlights ebook, and that's based on my forthcoming Creative Writers Toolbelt handbook, which will be out later in the year. And also, every respondent will be added to a prize draw. So, to take that survey, just go to my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, or you can email me, it's andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com, and I'll send you the link. So let's get to the subject for this episode, which is an exploration of three of the building blocks of narrative, sentences, paragraphs, and scenes. I wanna look at sentences first. Definitions of the sentence tend to focus, rightly I think, on the fact that it's a group of very specific words which, when taken together, express a complete thought or action. Now a sentence can contain all manner of words, verbs, nouns, adjectives and adverbs, pronouns, prepositions, and there's a whole world of grammar, advice and insight out there on the internet and in books to explore, and plenty of literature on sentences. So my aim here is not to give you a big grammar lesson. Maybe we'll do that one day and I'll probably enlist the help of someone who's much better at sorting this sort of thing out than I am to help me. But for now, let's just restrict ourselves to a practical definition. For a group of words to be a sentence, it has to contain three basic components, and they are a subject, an object, and a verb. The subject is whatever or whoever is doing the action. The verb is the action itself, and the object is whatever is on the receiving end of that action. So, when the cat sits on the mat, the cat is the subject, the mat is the object, and the verb is sits. Now, sentences can, of course, get much more complicated than that, and as I said, that might be a subject for another time. Now, obviously, a sentence with just those three core words in it might be fairly clear, but it also might be a bit bland. And the English language, of course, has a vast range of words and word types that can be used. Verbs, nouns, adjectives, adverbs, pronouns and prepositions and so on. And these words are like ingredients that we can have for a meal. And like the discerning chef, we as writers are faced with choices. What goes in and what do we leave out? And in what order do things come together? Now it can all get very complicated, but I think the guiding principle with a sentence and really for all three of the structures I'm talking about in this episode is not how complicated can I make it or how clever can I sound? The guiding principle is this, how can I write this sentence so that I convey its intended meaning as clearly as possible. I'm just going to say that again so that we can all kind of absorb that definition and think about it for a moment. The guiding principle with a sentence is how can I write this sentence so that I convey its intended meaning as clearly as possible? And as Ursula Le Guin notes in her book, Steering the Craft, there's one way for the parts of a sentence to fit together and your job as a writer is to find it. As an example of this, consider these three manifestations of the same sentence. Here's the first one. 
The floor was where I spilt my coffee when the doorbell rang, waking me up. Now that is a hideous mess of a sentence with inappropriate use of passive voice and no thought to the sequence of events that that it's trying to convey. It's hard work to understand what's being said here. So how about this sentence? I spilt my coffee on the floor when I woke up when the doorbell rang. Now this is marginally better, but the use of the word when twice in that sentence is a bit distracting. But there's another reason as well why both of these sentences are a bit of a mess. Let's think about the sequence of events that we're trying to describe here. Event one is the doorbell rings. Event two is I wake up. And event three is I spill my coffee on the floor. In the first sentence, I express these sequence of events in this order. Event three, event one, event two. Now for the next sentence, it's three, two, one. No wonder you were confused when you heard those sentences. The way I expressed them was completely out of sync with the sequence of events. Now, how about this sentence? When the doorbell rang, I woke up and spilled my coffee on the floor. That's much better. Why is it much better? Because for a start, there's no distracting word repetition, but also because the sentence follows the sequence of events. I'm carrying the reader through those events rather than making them work hard to piece together the sequence from the incorrect order of information. Now, based on all of this, the practical principle, therefore, to bear in mind with sentences is that you should decide what your sentence is trying to say and then convey that meaning as clearly and succinctly as possible. This doesn't mean that the best sentence is the shortest sentence, but it does mean that the best sentence is the one that conveys meaning in a way that is as clear and succinct as possible. Bearing that in mind, let's now look at the paragraph. If a sentence is tricky to define, a paragraph is even worse. The definitions of a paragraph all point to the fact that it contains a collection of similar ideas or actions within a group of sentences. But there's a clue here to the true power of paragraphs. Their real value is not really so much in what's in them, but where they begin and end. The end of a paragraph tells the reader that the writer has finished trying to convey meaning through a group of sentences and they're now moving on to the next sequential bit of meaning in whatever they're trying to explain or their story. The end of a paragraph provides the reader with a subconscious cue. It tells them that we're now moving on to the next part of whatever is being presented. And paragraphs are not therefore defined by a certain length. They're defined by the unity and similarity in the sentences within them. Now, I want you to consider this simple example. I'm going to read you the start of a very simple story, and I'd like you to try to work out how many paragraphs it has. Here it is. In a small house in a village lived an old widow with her son, Jack. Jack was the youngest of five children, and his four siblings had all now left home. But Jack was quite content to live with his mother. His friends kept asking him when he was planning to get his own place, but he was in no hurry. One morning, a letter arrived for Jack. The letter contained a job offer from a global corporation. The job would be a great opportunity for Jack with more responsibility and twice as much money as he earned now, and he knew it would be a fool to turn it down, but it would mean moving away from his mother. Jack thought about the letter all day. He thought about it on the way to work, he thought about it at lunchtime when he left his office to go for a walk, and he thought about it in the afternoon when he got bored in the meeting he was in, and he thought about it again on his journey home. Now, I hope that you were able to tell that this little passage contained three paragraphs. 
Of course, I did add a couple of fairly lengthy pauses to accentuate where the paragraphs were, but these were only to reinforce the fact that there are three steps, almost like three beats in this piece of writing. And those three steps are an introduction to Jack and his domestic arrangements. He lives with his mother. That's the first paragraph. He gets a letter, which is a job offer, and it will have quite a significant impact on him. That's the second paragraph. And then the fact that Jack spends the day thinking about the letter, that's the third paragraph. Now, I hope you can see that each paragraph here represents a clear demarcation in terms of the message and aspect in the story. The other thing to notice here is that it is usually the job of the first sentence in a paragraph to set the scene, to provide an indication of the message of the paragraph. In my example, the first sentences of each of those three paragraphs were, for paragraph one, in a small house in a village lived an old widow with her son Jack. Paragraph two, one morning a letter arrived for Jack. Paragraph three, Jack thought about the letter all day. I hope you can hear that each of these sentences is an introduction, almost a prologue to the meaning conveyed in the paragraph. And some people refer to these sentences as the topic sentence. So here's what we've learned about paragraphs. They are defined by the ideas and themes expressed in the sentences they contain. But the chief aim of a paragraph is to delineate that part of the story or that incident or that piece of information or activity from the next sequential piece. And the second thing we've just looked at is that the paragraph itself can be defined by its topic sentence, usually the first sentence. And I hope as well that you've noticed that the key aim of a paragraph is actually to assist in conveying meaning as clearly and succinctly as possible. And if you think that sounds a bit like the key aim of a sentence, then you'd be right. All of these structures have a common aim. So let's move on to the third structure, which is the scene. Like the sentence and the paragraph, the scene is part of that range of tools that we can use to make the meaning of what we're saying as clear and precise as possible, and particularly with the scene, as entertaining and engaging as possible. We'll keep these objectives in mind, clarity and precision, and an engaging and entertaining experience as we think about the definition of a scene. So the term scene and its definition come to us from the world of theatre, where the action in a particular setting and between particular characters is played out in a scene. And there are echoes of this in the excellent definition of a scene given by Timothy Hallinan. This is what he says. For me, a scene is a unit of story in which something changes. It has a beginning, a middle and an end. And at the end, something is different than what it was in the beginning. It may be a character or a situation or just our understanding of a character or situation. But whatever it is, it's changed when the scene is over. Now, I find this definition very helpful with its focus on something changing and the idea of a scene having a structure of having a beginning and a middle and an end. And it also helps us to understand the dynamic of a scene, which is really just a scaled down version of the whole story, the whole story arc. So in a scene, we begin and then build gradually but steadily to a climax, consistently cranking up the tension towards a final resolution. Now, armed with these ideas, we can move on to a more technical description of the scene. And for this, we can go to one source of conventional wisdom on the structure of a scene. And that comes from Dwight Swain in his book, Techniques of the Selling Writer. According to Swain, there are two different kinds of scene, and he calls these the scene and the sequel. Now, both the scene and the sequel comprise three stages. Let's take the scene first. 
Now, for a scene, the three stages are, first, the goal. What the main character or characters want. This is what's going to provoke the action in the scene, and it needs to be clear what this is. Second, conflict. As the scene progresses, a series of challenges and obstacles stop the character from reaching their goal. And third, disaster. The final resolution of the scene will not usually be favourable to the character or characters involved. It's an outcome, certainly, but it will have consequences. What you are really doing at the end of a scene is laying the groundwork for the next scene. So that's the scene. In the sequel, we're looking at the consequences of what's just happened. And these are the three stages of a sequel. First, the reaction. How does the character or characters react emotionally to what's just happened? Second, dilemma. Now they need to decide what to do. And the options usually are not good. Your protagonist could be faced with difficult choices and all of the options could be costly or problematic. Thirdly, decision. The character makes the decision. It may be a good decision or a bad decision, but whatever it is, they've decided and they've taken on the risk and the cost. They make their decision and in the process, they are preparing for the next scene. Now I want to give you an example of this. Let's consider a couple of scenes from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The first one is from the Fellowship of the Ring. Gandalf strongly suspects that the ring in Frodo's keeping is in fact the One Ring of Sauron. In that scene, Gandalf journeys back to Bag End, the first stage. His goal is to identify the ring. The second stage, the conflict occurs in the form of the gradual realisation for Gandalf and Frodo that this is the One Ring, an incredibly evil object, right there in the idyllic heart of the Shire. And the third stage, the climax, is the disaster. The scene reaches a resolution, but it's the worst kind. This is the One Ring, and there will be consequences, and now the characters involved have to act on it. Now let's look at a sequel. Here the story is reacting to something that's happened. This doesn't mean that the sequel is a passive piece of writing. The characters have agency, and there is a decision to be made. Think now about the scene at the end of The Return of the King when Frodo at last comes to the cracks of Mount Doom, the end of his long journey with the One Ring. The first stage, the reaction. Here is Frodo's reaction to making it to the end of the journey. He's exhausted, he's weak, he's weary. Physically and mentally, he's exhausted and he's had to carry this ring. But now he has to destroy this thing. How does he feel? How does he react? This moves us into the second stage of the sequel, The Dilemma. And Frodo's dilemma is clear. Does he destroy the ring or does he keep it for himself? And finally, we have the third stage, The Decision. He decides that he is going to keep the ring for himself and therefore has to face the consequences of that decision in the next and following scenes. So when we think about the structure of a scene, there are, I think, a few practical principles to bear in mind. Firstly, something has to change. For this to be a scene, we have to see something different at the end. Secondly, the structure of a good scene rises steadily to a climax before the disaster or decision point. And thirdly, are we writing a scene or a sequel? The answer to that question will decide how those three stages of structure and rhythm will work. Now, again, I hope you can see that the structure and dynamics of a scene are formed to assist us in that fundamental task of conveying meaning clearly and precisely. 
but also, particularly with the scene, to do it in a compelling and entertaining and absorbing way. So let's summarise now what we've covered here. There is a unifying principle, I think, which the structures of narrative all share. And the principle is simply this. All of these structures, sentences and paragraphs and scenes, are all designed to help us to present meaning in as clear and precise a way as possible. And linked to that, also to present meaning in as engaging and compelling and entertaining a way as possible. So when you're writing your sentences, your goal is to present the meaning in the sentence as clearly and precisely as possible. When you write a paragraph, you aim to use that structure to, to delineate the meaning of the sentences in it, and also to think about the topic sentence to define that meaning for the whole paragraph. And when you write the scene, think about the principle of the scene rising in tension towards a climax at the end. Also, think about whether your scene is a scene or a sequel, and use that appropriate three-part structure. So that's it for this episode. Today I have quoted or referred to the following online sources. Timothy Hallinan's website, which is T-I-M-O-T-H-Y-H-A-L-L-I-N-A-N.com. I have also referred to the following works. Steering the Craft, a 21st century guide to sailing the sea of story by Ursula K. Le Guin, published by Mariner Books. Techniques of the Selling Writer by Dwight Swain, published by University of Oklahoma Press, and The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, published by Harper Collins. In the next two episodes, I'm going to be continuing to focus on the scene with an exploration of two very special kinds of scene, and they are the romance scene and the action scene. And for both of these episodes, I'm going to be joined by an expert, the writing coach and former commissioning editor and screenwriter, Jesse Rita Hoffman. So those episodes will be out in the next few weeks. But for now, please do fill in the Creative Writers Toolbelt survey. Tell me what you want to hear about on the podcast. Give me your opinion. And remember, that process does work because this podcast has been based in part on suggestions I've already had. So go to andrewjchamberlain.com, fill in the survey and sign up also to get your copy of the Creative Writers Toolbelt Highlights ebook and get your name entered into the prize draw. It'll take you a few minutes. Do it now if you can. Okay, there's a lot that we've covered here, but I hope it's been useful to you. That's it for now. As ever, thank you for listening and goodbye. Mm-hmm.